Welcome to the Comics Corner, everybody. I am John. I am your host for this evening. Back with us for part two of our Historia discussion is our special guest villain, Matthew Klein. Welcome. So happy to be back on your Comics Corner. And let's just be very clear. You're not just the host. You're the host with the most. Oh, thank you. I feel I'm not going to do my Ethel Merman imitation because I don't want to blow out anyone's eardrums. But at some point... I will do my Ethel Merman impersonation. Would you do your Carol Channing impersonation, though, at some point this episode? Uh, I might. Let's see if we can get to Carol Channing. Okay. I'll, I'll see if I can work that, that Carol Channing in. And we have an extra special, special villain with us tonight in honor of our Batman 66, which we're not actually going to talk about, but I'm going to go with it anyway, because that was the direction that I took. And I'm the host, so I can do it. Uh, we have Mr. Jeremiah J. back with us. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me back, and thank you for allowing us to discuss more of Wonder Woman Historia. Part two of part, uh, there's going to be a lot of this. Yeah, part two <laughs> part of part infinity. one. Part infinity of it. It's part two of part one. That's it. I like that. There we go. Now, I will say the second book of Historia has been solicited. Well, sort of. It, it The print date right now is April 5th, 2022. Assuming that all goes well and it can be printed. That's true. Assuming that there's still paper left in the universe, which oh. I'm thinking that there will. I mean, to be fair though, reading this digitally, you have an advantage. So. That's true. And I may actually have to switch to digital if it, de well, I, again, day to date. Um, well, so yes, thank John you hasn't left his home in two years. Let's be very clear. If I could figure out how to never leave my house again, I would totally do that. I, that would actually be John's superpower is just hermitism. That's that's, <laughs> his, that's really where it'd be at. Yeah. If I could figure out how to be that person where everybody's like, I haven't heard from him for a week. Do you think he's all right? I would totally be that person. I have no, I have no shame about admitting that whatsoever. Um, <laughs> so... We're gonna, we're actually kind of doubling up for this comics corner. First, we are going to talk about Wonder Woman Historia. We're gonna focus on the art because we really didn't get to talk about the art last time. We mostly got to talk about the story. Uh, and then we're going to move into the first of our series where we talk about the work of the brilliant George Perez. Um, and we're gonna talk about his Wonder Woman. I also wanna show you guys, see my Oh, it's gorgeous. Oh, so John is holding up a commission of Diana uh, done by George Perez himself. When was that done, John, and where? Uh, that was at New York Comic Con in 2012. And then um, as we continue talking about his work, I'll show you the other, um, um, the other John, stuff. John, I, I, think, I think we need to get a photo of that and send it over so that we can put it on the gram, as it were, and show the people. On the, oh, the, Instagram. Okay, sorry. Yes. <laughs> um, no, I yes. understand. A gram to you means something very different. I yes. totally get it. Yeah, it does, and it means something to me different now than it did in my twenties. That's a story for another day, which we oh, won't go into. 
as my family sometimes listens to this. Um, <laughs> well, wait, now, now I have to ask the question of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, do you have a treasured commission of Wonder oh. Woman? Of Wonder Woman? I do not have a treasured commission of Wonder Woman. Um, I, like I mentioned last time, she's a character that I haven't dove too much into. Uh, a little bit of the George Perez run, a little bit of the Gail Simone run. Um, obviously, Terry Dotson, whenever he did a cover, I always would stare at it for hours. Uh, and the story is my real like first dive into the character. So, so what is your what is your most cherished commission don't worry if if this doesn't go well josh will just cut around it so it's fine uh, so 2017 i was lucky enough to get a second commission from paul rivera um Ooh. i gave him the option of three characters and i wanted to be surprised uh -huh. and so what he ended up doing was the original version of shadow man oh wow that's beautiful. And it's in color and everything. That yeah. is fantastic. So uh, my my first commission from Apollo uh, is a sketch cover commission of Divinity. Divinity, because now in case you don't realize it, uh, dear listeners, uh, Jeremiah is quite a fan of ye old Valiant's comics, yeah, so uh, which I used to be familiar with. And John <laughs> is still currently overly intimately familiar with but yeah, i am a big valiant mark but um <clears throat> for my my 30th birthday that is coming up um i was able to purchase an old commission that someone was selling of paulo and i will be getting a miracle man commission Ooh, um, good time very good timing nice. yeah, good timing on that <laughs> yeah good timing on that for those of you who don't know listeners marvel just recently teased in a uh, comic the return of miracle man um, and they've been very, very tight-lipped, even to me, who sells for them uh, through Penguin Random House. But, but the, the omnibus is coming. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, it is. My wallet is already fearing that. But anyways, <laughs> to the topic at hand. <laughs> to the topic at hand. One day we will have a, um, a comic book edition of uh, Impossible Choices, Would You Rather, where I, I'll just give everybody random choices about you can only for the rest of your life read this writer or watch this artist or read this book or you Ooh. can you have enough money to buy one of you, the things that you've always wanted to read what is it oh john i think you've just created a new segment for the show from now on at the end of every episode we have to do a would you rather an impossible all right so we'll do well then we'll do we'll do it at the end of this we'll do it at the end that's that's like our dessert after the meal yes there we go however i do want to get into this because there's a lot to talk about um spoilers abound for everything there is absolutely no way to have these discussions we do not here at commons corner specifically talk about just the book. We talk about much larger issues that surround the book, comics in general, themes, et cetera, et cetera. So spoiler alert abound, you have been warned. So um, all opinions are our own, by the way, just put it out there. All opinions are our own. Um, so can we just talk about how much I want to pull apart historia number one and just be that weird, creepy guy, like you walk into someone's house and there's just like pages taped to the wall and they look some, some sort of weird conspiracy theorist. I'm just surprised you haven't done it already. 
I you don't have that many walls is the thing, right? Like he's very minimalist. And I am I am very minimalist. I have a lot of walls. Spartan. I have very little on my walls. I have one thing in my bedroom, one thing in the living room. We don't room. talk about that thing. So that's that's not for the podcast. Okay. Wow. Did you have to take it to that place? Wow. <laughs> if I didn't, you would. I I wouldn't have. I wasn't even going there. But let's get back on track. Let's talk about how pretty the art in Astoria is. Um was there a specific page that jumped out to you guys? There were a couple that I was like, I want to own them. I want them. I want to, I, I just want to, I want them to come to life and hang out with me. Um, I am terrified what Philomenes is going to be charging for these originals at some point. when. He well, most of it is digital. I was going to say, most of it has to be digital because most that's of the it way that you need work. But yeah. also like he can do artist proofs um artist proof lithographs like there's it's yeah all possible there so i want to just say i think the page with all of the vases i was gonna say that yeah that one's a that one's a really really loaded page just to think about what the vases symbolize within like literally every possible thing that has happened and then just a complete another room of them is just every one of them is unique it is oh my god yeah, I don't I think I could zoom in more. It's a double. It's a double page spread. It's fairly early in the issue, and it depicts. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but it depicts basically like every indignity, humiliation, torture that has been done to women by men in all of history. I wanted yes. to say crime, but it didn't sound like the right word. But yeah, it, all those descriptions. <laughs> it's an indictment of men's behavior towards women. Yes. Exactly. And it is, it is, uh, um, it's incredibly constructed. Uh, to your point, Jeremiah, every single vase uh, depicts a different act, a different era. Um, and, and every single vase is different. There are no different. two that They're are the all same. Different designs. Yeah. I am shocked. Like, I want to know what his references for this were. Like, how did he compile that file for all of these things? I also am curious, like, how he assembled them digitally. Did he sort of just do them all as sort of separate layers and then compile them on top of each other? Did he always know that they were going to be sized differently? I'm there very... is actually a process page of his that he showed of this, this particular oh, really? spread um, on, I want to say it was on Twitter because I'm not on Instagram <clears throat> or the gram as the kids apparently call it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but on Twitter, he did show a process page of this um i will yeah and i will say um i'm guessing a lot of the research came from both the met and the british museum um mm -hmm. because almost their entire um inventory that's not the right word for it um their treasures are all online in many ways and cataloged so i'm assuming so that was the first page that came to me did you guys have something that like reached out and smacked you through the page I mean, the, the two pages prior where it shows all of uh, the, the six Amazons uh, in their first like forms, that one was such a, like, it's literally the second page of the, the story. Mm -hmm. uh, as someone who isn't a, a Wonder Woman aficionado, this was like the first, obviously the first page is pure black, but this was a big inhale of this yeah. book. This is the where you get the first flavor. It's right on the tip of your tongue with your eyes. Um, I absolutely love this page as well. Um, 
Yeah, and Kelly Sudakonic has actually said that in each of the books, this is how the first six pages will go. The first page will be the text, the second and third will be the spread of uh, all of the six goddesses, and then Hera will have her own double page spread. That Hera double page spread is also quite a showstopper. Yeah. For sure. It is quite a showstopper. Also, I would say um, for me, I adore the last page of the book. Well, that's a bit of a jump. <laughs> yeah. Let's just go to the last page. Um, the last page is the sort of the beginning of the reveal of Hippolyta at the start of her journey to Amazondom. I know that's not a word, but that's what we're going to go with. It is now. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. yeah, that's a terrifying so course. Indiv individual pages that jump out at me. Also, there's a page towards the end of the middle um, where uh, Hera is kind of, her eyes are glowing and there are depictions of sort of all the different possible paths of the, the past, oh. the present, the future, yeah. sort of what will happen to sort of essentially the Amazons uh, as they'll come to be known. Where we've um, been, an, where we are, where we might yep. go. Yeah. It's, I mean, I'm, you can just study this page in and of itself uh, from the composition of it, the sheer amount of elements. And I, I feel like Jimenez's approach on this book sort of does rival in some way or, or pay homage at times to George Perez, who we'll talk a little bit later. Yeah, every shoot. everything that he does in this book is an homage. Everything. It does. Like, and I don't mean that in a bad way. No, not in a bad and... way. Just Perez is known for having so many characters and different elements and single pages and double page spreads uh, and an inordinate amount that you would think could not possibly stand up and be too cluttered. And yet they're very well balanced images. And, and it definitely seems like Jimenez on that page in particular with Hera's sort of seeing all that has been and all that will be, it really felt like a Perez, you know, style page to me. Yeah. And to my cat, who is also here and maybe making an appearance. Uh, Probably my favorite page out of it all, not to cut anyone off, uh, is with Hippolyta running through basically everything. Um, and it's uh, 12 panels on the left side and 12 and a half or 11 and a half on the right where she's basically running through the woods and then she's in the water falling through the ruins and like Jimena is breaking the panels when you get to the, the other side of the page as everything's just getting worse and worse and worse uh, as she's chasing after the child. This is yeah, that's, that's beautiful. You know, it's fascinating to me and I, I'm, I'm going to tread carefully here because actually as three comic book nerds, I think this is kind of an interesting question. Um, you know, the eighties, when I was in my early sixties, um, there was really a kind of thing about the team. Who was the team on the book? It was very much 50, 50 between the writer and the artist. And then the nineties, it kind of shifted towards the artist and the writer sort of felt like an afterthought. And now we have entered kind of an age of much longer, really, really, I would say the last 20 to 25 years, where it really has almost become about the writer and the artist has um, 
I think in some ways kind of been uh, ignored. I don't know if this book will change this. I hope it does because it, you know, you can't really have comics without collaboration. Um, well, I think, I think to that end, John, one of the things that we think of in comics, and I'm not saying it's the right thing to think of, but we tend to think of the writer, not just as the writer, but also kind of like the, the showrunner of a title. It's it, when you think created by, for better or for worse, it tends to be considered that, oh, it was the writer who had the, the original idea and therefore they are from a hierarchy standpoint, they are the primary creator on the title. So they sort of get top billing for it. It's almost like if you were a showrunner and it's created by Dick Wolf, but the director of the of the episode was so-and-so, and the artist almost feels more like a director in that sense, in terms of the hierarchy um, or a producer on the book. So actually that would be the editor. But um, but I think that's part of it. I feel like right now we've, we've been in a situation where the writer seems to, because the writer almost by some form of conditioning is viewed as the primary creative well that the, that the IP springs from and the book springs from, that they send team to, to get more attention. Does that track or am I way off base? Well, it brings up an interesting thought, but I want to hear Jeremiah's thoughts before I bring in a separate question. I, I agree that the writer has been kind of thrusted to the forefront. Uh, last, definitely the last 10 years, 15 and 20 is kind of stretching it. I mean, early 2000, early knots, it makes sense. They had to write, that was probably like the dawn of the writer being the, the top of the bill forever top of the bill. Um, and more to that note is when, a lot of, like you were saying in the 80s, there was teams. Um, example, that the one that just jumped to mind when you said that is like anytime Marv Wolfman and Perez got together, everyone went, oh my God. So now teams don't stay together nearly as long and a writer can rebound so much quicker than an artist can. It's a fair point. And I feel like that is one of the reasons why the writers are being thrusted into the forefront. I mean, there are books that if I know that a writer is on it, I'm going to try it. And if there's a book that an artist is on and I don't know the writer, I'm going to be less inclined to try it. And I don't know if that's just because I sadly one day want to be a writer um, or it's just the way that my brain is conditioned when it comes to comics. Comics, obviously visual medium and the art is such an interesting aspect of it, an important aspect of it. But I'm willing to give artists more of a try than I am writers. I wonder, and I'm, I'm, going to say something that's probably going to get me in a lot of trouble, but I'm almost wondering if comics became so insistent upon being known as a literary medium that it almost defaulted to being about the writer. Did we lean too far into literary? And I don't mean that in terms of, of content or in terms of structure or anything like that. I mean, did we, did we go so far as to say, we, I say we, like we have control over the industry, but <laughs> did comics in general say, I want to be known of as a literary form of entertainment. And so. 100%, you're right there. In my opinion, my opinion, um, with the change of the industry in the seventies with undergrounds going into the eighties with the real like independence, uh, Fantagraphics drawn in quarterly, when people are trying to make comics serious, when people were trying to make comics important i think they leaned too far into the literary aspect of the story um 
and the art didn't get left behind, but didn't make it all the way with it. They, they lost a little on the, on the back end. Uh, Matthew, did you want to add something to that? I think there's an interesting point to be made there. I think certainly in the 80s, you started to have sort of writers taking forefront in certain ways. People talked about Alan Moore. People talked about Frank Miller and Frank Miller's version of Batman and Frank Miller's Batman and Alan Moore, um, his influence in there. And even Neil Gaiman in the late 80s, as he comes on the Sandman and Vertigo, you didn't hear as much about his you know, the artists who were on the book. You didn't hear much about Sam Keith and what have you. Um, and then the 90s, to your point, John, really swung way back to the artist. Jim Lee became the rock star of rock stars. Um, and then, I, so I don't know, be, because the, the trend went from literary in the 80s to still the artists were the spotlight in the 90s, I don't know that I agree with with the idea that it became so literary that we only focused on authors. I think that that's not, a. I think there might be some bloody. I also think that writers started to get more publicity. They would do more interviews. They were more extroverted in that way. I think you, publishers started pushing them more to the forefront for promotion of the titles than artists, which also I think sort of from a perspective standpoint or a, you know, sort of tip the scales. Yeah, it's just interesting to me that sort of there, there was maybe 10 years of that, eight years of that. And then all of a sudden it's now it's, and not to take away from what anyone does. Um, you know, I certainly have no writing abilities or um, artistic what? abilities at all. Wait, 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 wait. We're going to pause listeners. Um, because if you're listening to this, you've probably listened to several phenomenal um, episodes that John Petrie here has written for April is the cruelest month. So you have my permission to absolutely contradict that statement. Sorry, please continue as we get back to reality. Uh, reality, such a dull place to be. Um, <laughs> I wish. I also want to throw something in uh, to the colorist that is fascinating to me is that the first three quarters of Historia are this sort of feast of art and color. And then all of a sudden, when you get into the real world, kind of in a way to, to make a movie translation, the way that in the Wonder, the first Wonder Woman movie, you went from the sort of light, the natural light and the beauty of Themyscira into this very dark gray industrial revolution. Um, it almost does the opposite. It's yeah, sort of no, thrust it, the real world. Yeah, it Go does. Ahead. It starts with this sort of ethereal, celestial sort of, you know, it, it's it's like going from Mount Olympus. And then by the end, the gods have sort of fallen. And now your story is really rooted in the earth and the struggle of humanity. And there's it's a very gritty and, and human palette at that point and imagery, uh, as we you know, as we mentioned earlier, when I jumped too far to the end. Um, <laughs> Because it, it really it really comes out of the ethereal and the theoretical and into the physical does the story in many ways. Yeah. But um, to, to piggyback on that real quick though, is the last page is colored more like the first page or the first couple pages than it is the pages leading up to it. It's a good point. Yes. Good point. And the and to piggyback off of that, I love the fact that when the Amazons meet 
uh, the men who are about to kill Hippolyta, it becomes the same red that is in the vases, 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 depending on how much money you make per year. You might use one of those words. <laughs> I, I want to I wanna ask you two, who've read many comics and have worked in the industry, because we talk about how, you know, writers get all the credit these days and, and artists aren't, you know, given as much perceived value. I would also argue that colorists do not get anywhere near the recognition for the contributions that they go. So I would like to ask you two real quick, do you have any favorite colorists in the industry that you recognize and, and want to give a shout out to here? Uh, uh, Mike Garland. Um, he doesn't get much stuff anymore, but Mike is absolutely fantastic. Um, and one of the series that blew me away, um, The Violent, uh, Ed Bruson, Adam Goran, and Mike Garland. Uh, image? Was it Image? Six part mini. Um, and I distinctly remember reading the third issue. There's a there's a scene with a dog, and the dog starts to freak out and bark. And the way that Mike changes the color of that issue through those like three pages literally just sucked you in. Uh, and I remember texting him uh, after that, messaging him, I believe. Uh, and I just wanted like I just want to commend you for this because. I don't know if anyone's going to say anything, but this like blew me away. Uh, so on a smaller scale, Mike Garland, because he doesn't get much work anymore. Um, but Matt Wilson. Uh, sure. Matt Wilson is absolutely incredible. And uh, just because I'm a, a big fanboy of Mike Alred, his wife, Laura. Laura yep. can really make Mike's work pop. Yeah, um, I would say uh, Laura Martin. Very, uh, nice choice. Very nice choice. Who is, I think, amazing. And I actually am going to kind of uh, go super old school uh, and talk about the entire team in general, which is, I don't know that without the colorist, uh, I believe it was Glynis Johns and the letterer, Tom Orzachowski, I don't know that even um, uh, Claremont Burns X-Men would have made such an impression because that whole team, like everything, everything about that book just clicked. Yeah, and I know. I and actually, this is a good kind of way to segue into George Perez's Wonder Woman. We're going to leave Historia behind right now. We will revisit it when issue two comes out. I, I want to give one colorist a shout out, though. Oh, yes. I didn't get to. Um, is uh, Triona Farrell. Uh, working today. I think Triona is a phenomenal colorist and she is only coming way up in the industry. Uh, big fan. And actually, of course, and Matthew and I both know him. I think Jeremiah, you know him too, David Barrett. I think. Oh, yes. Oh I God. think the stuff that David, I, I, I think in general, the stuff that David does is great, but to see him work, to, to see the, the Batman atmosphere that he provides. Um, David, David Barron has touched more great comics in the last 25 years than anyone has any idea about. He is absolutely an all-star that does not, even within the coloring community, I feel like doesn't get the, the amount of credit he deserves. So shout out to David if you're listening. Shout out to David. And I do also want to just point out, I feel like I'm turning into an ad for David, but that's okay. He does have a new All Ages book that's out, um, which you should take a look at. And while we are discussing George Perez... And Wonder Woman, I will look that up so I can make sure I get you the full and exact name of it. Um, 
before we discuss George Perez's Wonder Woman run. Yes. I do want to interject one thing. So uh, last time that I was on, we talked about uh, Historia. We were talking about how great George Perez was. Um, so I dug through some of my comics and I want people to try to look for these comics. They're not terribly hard to find, but it's George Perez. It's right before his Run to Woman run. Um, Deluxe Comics did Thunder Agents. Um, and the absolutely amazing part about Thunder Agents is it's George Perez and Dave Cockrum. Ooh. So these two on um, this series, it only ran for five issues before it was sued into oblivion uh, because Deluxe was publishing it under public domain when it was not public domain yet. Um, it, it shows George's work right around the time of crisis, right before Wonder Woman uh, in its full glory. And if you don't know who the Thunder Regents are, it's a, it's a nice superhero team to, to dig into. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, it's it's personally my favorite George Perez work because I haven't done much in the way of Wonder Woman. I've only done a little bit, but I'm definitely getting into it a little bit more. I just wanted to give a shout out to that series. Only five issues it ran. And Steve Ditko did a backup story in the last issue. So Very nice. We are really, we are really going to do comics royalty here. And we're going to be talking about, um, and we're going to be talking about a lot of George Perez's work. Um, we're going to start with Wonder Woman because it ties in with Historia. Um, tiny little bit of history. This takes place after Crisis on Infinite Earths, which I would not recommend for somebody who is new to comics. Yeah. Um, but for everyone who is uh, more of a modern fan of comics, I would say go back and read Crisis on Infinite Earths for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's a piece of history that you should read, everybody should read. Uh, secondly, it was really the first company-wide crossover that happened. Um, and if you want to see the blueprint for um, every single crossover that's happened since 1985, um, you should do it. Uh, we're not going to talk about it here, though, because it's super confusing. Super the, confusing. Yeah, in the best way, but it's super confusing and there's a lot of continuity and there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. But in 1986, 1987, DC rebooted all of its characters, starting them from the beginning. Uh, Superman um, <clears throat> was taken over by John Byrne. Batman got his relaunch with Batman Year One, uh, Frank Miller and David Mazzucchelli. Uh, and Wonder Woman was uh, going to be written by Greg Potter and an artist um, who has never been named, um, but George Perez has said in interviews that nobody was super keen on the direction that the story was going. Um, he had fallen in love with the mythology and the Greek mythology of the Amazons while working on Teen Titans with Mark Wolfman. And he had essentially said to Karen Berger, who was the editor at the time, hey, if you let me do my Wonder Woman story, I'll come in and draw this for you. Um, and that was how he got the job. There were a number of things that happened. Greg Potter left after the first couple of issues. George Perez uh, became not only the penciler, but the plotter. And Len Wein, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, came in as the scripter. Len Wein, by the way, who doesn't ever get the credit for creating the all new, all different X-Men. But if you want to know where Storm and Colossus 
and Nightcrawler came from. It is from Len Wein, who wrote Giant Size X-Men number one. No, it was not Chris Claremont. Yes, I guarantee that. If you want to go up against me in a trivia game and that question comes up, I promise you, I will win that question. Who is the artist? Dave Cockrum, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Dave Cockrum, who is another genius who left us too soon, who worked on um, pretty much every single Marvel and DC character that existed, uh, most notably redesigning the entire Legion of Superheroes, as well as working on Ms. Marvel and Spider-Man and Iron Fist and everybody else. And uh, let's not go too far down into comics history because I don't want to bore anybody. It's because the best part. <laughs> I, it, it is a wonderful part of it. And um, if they weren't used to Matthew and I arguing and screaming at each other on the Real Housewives of the Comics Corner, I would absolutely <laughs> say we should go down that way. But... Let's talk Wonder Woman, George Perez, shall we? Yes, let's. Okay, so these are these are very big questions, and I promise we will talk about the history of the story, the story itself. But there's a couple of things that I want to get into, and the first is it is impossible to talk about Wonder Woman without talking about the entire history of the Amazons. She is not a simple character, um, in the same way that Batman and Superman and even Spider-Man are simple characters and even Captain America are simple characters. You really have to dig into the history of the Amazon, which is why in the first issue of Wonder Woman, she does not even appear until page 25. It's She's very daunting. Um, for someone who reads a lot of comics, she's a daunting character. For someone who doesn't read comics, I can't imagine them just being like, I'm going to get into Wonder Woman and just try to dive right in. It's 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 kind of scary. That first issue of George Perez's run, though, does such an amazing job of laying the groundwork. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Did you... So, so having not been a fan of Wonder Woman, when you read that first issue, did you get to a point where you were like, even if you didn't feel like, oh, I know who this character is, did you get to a point where you felt like, I want to know more about her? Yes, yes. He, he, it's it's an amazing number one because it's what I call a breadcrumb number one. You just want, you keep going, you keep going, you keep going. When you get to the end of it, where's more? Yeah. Um, and, that, that, and that leads to, to George's amazing ability as an artist, um, as a storyteller as well. So yeah, it was definitely one of those where I just, I wanted to keep going. Um, the yeah. omnibus was just they just reprinted the omnibus correct i well i don't know if they reprinted it but i have the first edition right here in my john. hands john is holding up his first edition george perez omnibus i am and i also on my shelf have the second graphic novel challenge of the gods uh signed by mr perez on my shelf how many of you own signed by mr perez uh i have four sketches Diana, Wanda, Huntress, and Zatanna. And I have a signed copy of the first issue of this framed and on my wall. I have the Challenge of the Gods signed. And then I think I have some other issues signed as well. Um, just because. Because yes. Obviously. <laughs> because yes, folks, if you ever see me at a con, uh, I will always have my backpack 
or my messenger bag with me and they are generally filled with comics to get signed because I am that nerd who would much rather have dinner with a bunch of comic creators than sit down with, I don't know, Julia Roberts or Tom Cruise or Lady Gaga. Not that I don't enjoy a Lady Gaga song or anything like that, but give me the choice of sitting down with a bunch of comic creators or sitting down with like the most famous people in the world. I'd be like, hands down, comic creators. Not, am I the only one? Or no, are you no, guys definitely like not. Definitely not. They have better stories anyways. <laughs> I, I don't know, because I haven't sat down with that many super famous people, so I can't really compare. So. Um, well, yeah, but you've worked, I mean, I've worked retail, I, you know, I've waited on uh, a lot of celebrities, and it's like, that's great, thank you. Remind me to tell you a story about a celebrity who was really mean to me one day. We'll tell you, I'll tell you after the show. Um, anyway. <laughs> Wow, totally got off topic there. Apologies. You may or may not hear this, depending on how much Josh wants to cut. Um, so yes, I think it is impossible to talk about Wonder Woman without talking about the Amazons. Um, Matthew, can you think of any other comic character that's like that? You don't know. I mean, to to go because because she's so rooted in in coming from a specific culture, right? And and the the cultural background she comes from is rather fantastical in a way so that you want to. So it feels she almost feels more of a fantasy character, you know, if you were going to a, go into a genre. Um, I'm trying to think. So it's only like from from comics. Uh, it's tough. I mean, Aquaman, you also do a lot of world building. Anytime somebody starts an Aquaman story, they talk about. Atlantis and his family history and sort of, you know, there. Um, but again, it's DC. I feel like if you were gonna do, um, no, I, I mean, they're not too, too many in that sense. Again, like- I would sort of argue the Aquaman point because he's discovering his connection with Atlantis at the same time the reader is. Uh, yes, I think that's that's fair. I think that's a very fair point. He's he's sort of a lens character for discovering the mythology of Atlantis. Yeah. Um, whereas you're saying that Diana really it it's often that you present her world to the reader without her even being in it. Uh, yeah. To to the point of this run. Yeah, I'm not sure. I can't think of too many people that that really that works for in in comics. Which brings me to my next point, which is everybody often talks about Superman as the outsider. Superman is the one, he's he's never quite part of humanity. But I don't think it's Superman as much as I think it's Wonder Woman because Wonder Woman comes into a completely foreign culture as an adult. And I will say this is kind, this Perez run is the first time you really see that culture shock for her. You didn't see it in the forties. You didn't see it when they kind of, when DC kind of went through their silver age and started retelling everybody's origins again she sort of assimilates into modern culture modern culture being the 40s or the 60s very quickly but here is really the first time i kind of see this where she has nothing and superman at least was raised in the culture and and can speak to it but what i do think that allows her to do it allows her book to do is it allows her book to make a commentary on culture 
that Superman or Batman can't make because they are part of this world. They were raised as part of that. Do you guys see that or am I oh, missing? 100% cheek from the outside in and acknowledge all of its benefits and all of its detractions, like probably better than any other character. The only other character that I can think of a comparison to is sort of Captain America in the sense that they play with the man out of time. And so mm-hmm. he's often used to sort of reflect that culture shock of someone who grew up in a different era with different perceived moral values and, and culture and sort of what it has evolved into today where she is, but she is a more extreme version in that sense because she is coming from a completely different culture. Yeah. She's not comparing one version of a culture to another. She has a completely different culture to go in. And, and also, I would argue that as a, as a woman, she also comes into a culture where her gender is minimalized. And so she's already put into a marginalized uh, sect of that assimilated culture as well. So I think that she has a, a much different sort of, in many ways, she has a more of an immigrant story than Superman does because Superman is raised and he's also raised not knowing he's from a different culture. Mm-hmm. And so the culture he experiences in Smallville, Kansas is the only culture he really knows uh, for the majority of his formative years. Yeah. I'm sorry, Jeremiah, were you going to say something? No, Matt, Matt hit it on the head with the, the two things that I was going to touch on is Captain America was a part of a culture. Now he's a man out of time, but he remembers what that culture was and what it quote unquote should be. He's also a man out of time and uh, Diana looking at it from a woman's perspective. So here's what I find really interesting. Diana's first line in this book is an apology. Ooh. Mother, I forgive me. I overheard you. By your leave, I wish to be included in this tournament. Her first line is an apology. Well, well, you know, she's very respectful. She is, but it's fascinating to me. And, um, oh God, there's so much I want to talk about. And I feel like I, I, I feel like we're almost out of time. Damn it. Why do we do this to ourselves? Why do we, why do we do this to ourselves? Um, I have so much stuff. Okay, so there's a couple of things that I want to, there's some larger issues that I want to talk about. First, I want to say, go to your local comic shop, read Wonder Woman by George Perez. It is now in paperback form, as well as in hardcover. You should absolutely read it, support your local comic shops. If you don't know where your local comic shop is, go to comicshoplocator.com, enter your zip code and you will find one, Um, I promise. Um, And they will take very good care of you. Um, Okay, I'm going to say, I'm going to ask a question that's going to get us in a lot of trouble. We're going to break the internet in half, folks. Um, So the first two issues of this book are actually kind of a prologue. Yes. It doesn't really go into. So knowing that people sort of now in comics say, well, if you don't grab them on the first page, you know, you're going to lose them kind of thing. So... The first thing is, why do we rush through storytelling? And the second is, now that the internet is here and people can sort of start to say their opinions about things, do you think that this book would have been as critically acclaimed if it had come in 2019? And the reason that I asked that book is, everybody looks back at this book the way that everybody looks back at the X-Men 
and they're like, this is really great. But people who read modern comics look back and, oh, it's so wordy. Oh, it's so this. Oh, it's, you know, blah, 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 blah. And would we accept that? So the, uh, let's start with that first question. Why do we rush through storytelling? Why don't we give ourselves time to breathe? Why don't we give our readers and our audience time to breathe? We have a shorter attention span than we used to, possibly. Um, and I'm sorry, what? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and <laughs> comics made that big transition, I want to say late 90s, early knots, to, to build within, we've got to wrap the story, start the story and wrap it up in six issues. Because then we can put it in a trade. And then we can sell the trade. And like this is a long-term storytelling at its finest. And we just don't get that anymore in comics unless you go and make it a different way. Mm -hmm. Jeremiah so is holding this, up his story here. Yeah, Jeremiah is holding up his story there. <laughs> would this last now? Yes, but it would have to be in a different format than your weekly, and I hate this freaking term, floppy. Mm -hmm. uh, I would concur. I think that um, there are fewer pages per issues. Um, runs are much shorter. So storytelling gets truncated. Um, and I think also, uh, I, I actually, for me right now, a, a, lot of, a lot of monthly comics are actually written for trade paperback format. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that even though they have less space maybe overall to the, the six issue point of your that you made jeremiah i don't necessarily think that they're actually written to be complete installments that have a beginning middle and an end um even with george perez taking a long runway for the main quote-unquote story every issue has a beginning middle and an end like they're very it's from a storytelling perspective each issue is very well crafted in that sense, which is why I do actually think it would, I think it would actually do better today. I think it would actually be received critically better today than it was then. Um, I think that, yes, there's a style and sort of the wordiness and what have you, but have you read a Scott Snyder book lately? Um, that it's, and, and I love Scott Snyder, but he has a ton of words on every page. Brian uh, Bendis has a ton of words on almost every single page. So it's not out of vogue for writers to be particularly verbose um, within the pages anymore. So I don't, I don't necessarily know that it's it, that. Would but be you know what the diff, you know what the difference is? There's a cynicism. The language, the style there's of language. A there's a cynicism in those books, whereas this is a really beautifully sincere book, and I, I really want people to understand how much I love this book. I. I have behind me, which I will show Matthew and Jeremiah. This is part of my comic book collection. And one, two, three of these boxes are all Wonder Woman. Um, yeah. out, of, out of what you see behind you. Um, and I cannot express how much I love this run and how much I think everybody should read this run. Well, and not only that, but it's it's instrumental in her history. Uh, so many elements have been adapted by subsequent storytellers, but also other mediums. So if you want to if you want to really get you know the quintessential version of Wonder Woman and who this character is, it's damn hard to argue it's not this one. Like yeah. it's the the Perez Wonder Woman is 
the gold standard. It is the core version of that character that everybody since goes back and pulls from in order to tell new stories. Yeah. Um, I, I want to keep talking about this book. Um, I know that we're almost at time. So let's move on to the dessert portion of the program, um, which is where we are now doing um, Answer This. Would You Rather. Let's just, let's, uh, let's, let's go with Would You Rather. Um, and we are going to, um, uh, first thought that comes to your head, don't think, just go with your gut instinct. I'm in Okay. Jeremiah, would you rather have a copy of Superman number one, Amazing Fantasy number 15, or Detective number 27? Amazing Fantasy 15, without a hesitation. Uh, Golden Age comics are amazing, and I always love Golden Age comics, but the King of the Silver Age, Amazing Fantasy 15, by far. And I, at one time, had a copy, um, and I sold it. And wow. this is not an exaggeration for a dollar. What? And I will I will tell that story at a later date. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're coming back to just tell that story. You know, yeah. John had a chance to hold a copy of Amazing Fantasy 15, but he chickened out. I I was absolutely not going to hold that book, nor did I hold Showcase Number Four with the first Flash. Absolutely I have Showcase Four as well. Uh, also, Sergeant Sergeant Fury and the Howling Commandos. You had a, a chance to hold. Yeah, absolutely not. Too much. Too much pressure. I can't handle it. Uh, all right, Matthew. Would you okay. rather a copy of the first appearance of Superman, the first appearance of Captain America, or the first appearance of the Riddler? Uh, first appearance of Captain America. That's, Interesting. That's where I would go. Um, okay. I already, I already have the first appearance of, of the Riddler, so I'm, I'm which good. one? Um, I well, Silver Age. I have the first okay. Silver Age, Batman 171. Yeah, uh, I'm talking Golden Age Riddler. Oh no, no, no! I, I'd still go with Superman. I mean, he's he's Superman. Wait, you just changed your answer. Captain, Captain America, America Superman. Oh, I'm sorry, Captain America. Yes, I would go with Captain America. <laughs> I would absolutely prefer that Captain America. Joe okay. Simon, Jack Kirby. I mean, the Riddler is like my favorite villain, so I got to go with him. Yeah. There you go. Okay, John. Yes. All-Star Comics 8 or Sensational Comics 1? Okay. That is difficult. I'm going to go with Sensation Comics number 1. Only because it is the first cover appearance of Wonder Woman. Um, I have held in my hands a slabbed copy of All-Star Comics number 8, which I have the nerdiest picture alive of me holding it, grinning, with tears welling in my eyes. Like, I, I but I, I'm gonna go with Sensation Comics number one just because it's the first cover appearance of Diana. What um, is the earliest Wonder Woman comic you own? Wonder Woman number eight? Single digits, yeah! Wait, you guys talk amongst yourselves for one second while I go to my boxes and check, hold on. Talk amongst yeah. yourselves. Jeremiah, question to you. What is the oldest comic that you own? Uh, to define comic. Now, uh, if, if, if you were to look at it, would you go, that's a comic? Um, or or does it have to be 22 pages or 64 pages? 
I was going to say in that in that comic format in that okay. single issue it can be 64 pages don't get me well, wrong no it's actually only eight pages i have a oh, cool. spirit newspaper uh sunday insert from 1943 um i i love the spirit inserts uh that's a part of comics history that is so fascinating to me will eisner in the war times doing the sunday uh inserts lady luck uh mr mystic and the spirit um so I do have a spirit newspaper insert. Uh, I do have three ECs as well. Ooh. Um, so uh, I my dream one day is to have a yellow kid. That's my dream. But uh, um, so I was actually incorrect. I'm sorry. It's a double digit. It's Wonder Woman number twelve. Okay, still still low double digits. So um, I'm I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry that I didn't buy that copy of Wonder Woman number one when I had the chance, um, but I have a thousand reprints of it. So, oh, very, God, that's pretty. Uh, that's Jeremiah very pretty. is holding up his spirit insert. We are now getting to the point where I feel like there's so much nerd energy right now that um, I'm, a, I'm a little afraid, but I wanna thank you for joining us. We are going to continue um, talking about Wonder Woman at some point. We're also going to continue talking about uh, George Perez. Um, we haven't decided whether we're going New Teen Titans, Early Avengers. We've already talked about the Avengers run with Kurt Busiek for the most part. So we're gonna figure out where we're gonna go next. There's a whole lot, Justice League, uh, Fantastic Four. We could go anywhere. Um, we could go- Because he did run. everything. We, we are gonna do everything. Um, but we wanna thank you for joining us. Go to your local comic shop, pick up Wonder Woman, uh, by George Perez, uh, pick up a comic um, and read something that will change your life. Ask them and they will find something for you. Uh, thank you, Jeremiah, for joining us. Thank you for having me back. Thank you, Matthew, for joining us. Jeremiah, anything you want to plug before we, we sign off? Um, I've been a lot more active on my collection Instagram, the Rivera Collection. Um, so I'll be po I post there every day now, a new Polar Rivera cover. So if you want to learn a little history about him and his covers, uh, go there. Thank you for letting me plug that. <laughs> Matthew, anything you want to plug? Um, I, I'm trying to think when this comes out. Uh, my you, can't plug, you can't plug yet, can you? Well, I, I can plug the webcomic that's coming. Uh, okay. It should be up on Tapas, I believe, by the time this airs, called No Rhyme or Reason. It is a gritty late 80s uh, noir. Uh, please do check it out. It's going to be 10 chapters posted weekly um, starting February 1st. So uh, check it out. Tapas, No Rhyme or Reason, with uh, art by the incredible uh, Rich Wazicki and uh, letter by Nick Philpot as well. So uh, check it out, folks. Uh, more on my uh, handles at MatthewKlein316 on Twitter um, and at MacTheKnife1116 on Instagram. Yes. Uh, thank you for joining us here on April is the Cruelest Month. Um, Matthew and I are going to be watching wrestling on Sunday as he once again tries to explain to me why I should watch this for any other reason other than to see men with baby oil rub against each other. It's pretty much just me trying to make dick jokes and Matthew being super sincere and me feeling really bad about myself. But Thank you for joining us. Uh, we will be back with another Comics Corner soon. Uh, actually, we're almost at issue, at issue. Jeez. We're almost at number 30. I promise uh, because Wonder Woman Historia was two issues, 
our 25th issue got overrun by that. So I promise when we come to the episode, I keep saying issue. I realize <laughs> that, but I'm just going to go with it. By the time we get to episode 30, I promise we will have a super fun episode with um, lots of guests from the past uh, where we literally just nerd out and talk about comics. Thank you for joining us. Um, be safe, be careful, and uh, don't be cruel.